good to remember, which is why we break bread together on a regular basis. And the early Christians broke bread together in their homes as well as as they gathered to worship. And、uh, it's good for us to do that, especially on this Good Friday. And we've been remembering the very first Good Friday, the day Jesus was broken. It was truly a day that changed the whole course of human history, and it changed the destiny of all those who put their trust in Christ. We're going to enter that day、uh, by reading through dramatically Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. But before we do that, I'd like to remind us all of what happened the night before. After Jesus had broken bread with his disciples, celebrating the Passover, but giving it that whole new meaning of his body and blood to be given for the sins of the world, he took his disciples to Gethsemane. And there he prayed prayers of agony. He asked his disciples to stay awake, to watch with him, but they just kept falling asleep. And here we see the strength of Jesus and the frailty of human beings depicted in this very story. Jesus cried out to the Father, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Not my will, but yours be done. He fully surrendered to the will of the Father. He found his disciples sleeping. Soon a large crowd arrived carrying swords and clubs, headed up by Judas Iscariot, who went up to Jesus and kissed him. He betrayed the Lord with a friend's kiss. Immediately Jesus was arrested and led away. The disciples all fled, although Peter did creep back later at a distance. To follow where they were taking Jesus. Jesus was brought before the high priest, but not only the high priest, the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law, and the entire Sanhedrin, the ruling council of 70 of the Jewish people. And he was accused of many things. But then the high priest asked a direct question. He said, Are you the Christ? And Jesus said, I am. And you'll see me seated at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. At that moment, the high priest had torn his robes as a sign of extreme shock and cried out, You heard the blasphemy. This man is worthy of death. Then they all roundly said to Jesus, You are condemned to, de- to, to death. They blindfolded him, they hit him in the face with their fists, and they took him away. Jesus was there. His suffering had begun. His suffering actually had begun as he anticipated what was ahead in Gethsemane. But also on that night before, Peter, who was there in the courtyard below the building where Jesus was being questioned and then condemned, was questioned himself three times. And three times he disowned Jesus. And on the final time he said, I don't even know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And at that moment, a cock crowed. 
And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him. Before the cock crows two times, you will disown me three times. And Jesus broke down and wept. So that day dawned with the crowing of the cockerel and Peter weeping. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? Can't you see how many things they are accusing you of? But still, Jesus made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. When the chief priest handed Jesus over to Pilate, Pilate asked him a direct question, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus gave him a simple reply. But to the further accusations of the chief priests, he gave no reply at all. And Pilate was gobsmacked that someone on trial for their life would not even try to defend themselves. This resonates with the words of the prophet Isaiah, written hundreds of years before, who said, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Now, it's the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people had requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him! They shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Pilate knew really that Jesus was innocent, yet he gave way to the pressure of the crowd. The mood of public opinion had turned against Jesus at this point, and Pilate didn't want to be held responsible for a riot amongst the people. This resonates with the words of Isaiah, who said, My oppression and judgment, he was taken away. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. 
And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. So this time the Roman soldiers are having their turn at spitting on Jesus in contempt, beating him again and mocking him, fulfilling the words of Isaiah, who said, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Jesus had none of the usual handsome features associated with kingship in that time. And at this point, he had been so brutalized, he had become disfigured, and people couldn't bear to look at him. They turned away from him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by in on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to this place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see which each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, So you, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Crucifixion was probably the cruelest form of execution ever known throughout history, in which people were nailed to a wooden cross. Heavy wrought iron nails were driven through the wrists and the heel bones. The victim had to pull themselves up in excruciating pain on their wounds to draw breath as their life ebbed away. It was reserved only for slaves and the worst of criminals. While Jesus suffered in this way, he continued to be taunted. But then something strange happened. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, 
Lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing nearby heard, they said, Listen, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Darkness came, three hours of it. No rain, just eerie darkness. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in despair, asking God why he'd forsaken him. We can't imagine, but what must it have meant for Jesus that he was cut off from loving fellowship with his father? What darkness of soul did he encounter at that time? Whatever darkness we can imagine or have experienced, his was greater. Every scream of pain, of horror, of fear, of torment, all of the evil of humankind throughout all of the history of humankind was laid upon him at that time. We've already referred to the powerful sculpture uh, behind me here on the stage. If you get close to that, you'll see that... The body of Jesus is overlaid with newspaper cuttings before the lacquer was put on it. And those newspaper cuttings represent the real horrors of our real world. Jesus died for real horrors, for real sins, for the things that are still happening in our world today. And he died for your sin and he died for mine. Jesus cried out loudly again as he breathed his last breath. And at this very moment, another extraordinary thing happened. The curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn from top to bottom, indicating that Jesus had entered heaven itself so that we too now may fully enter into God's presence. So Jesus' death becomes the very opposite of pointless suffering, and it has the capacity to redeem all human suffering. It was suffering with an eternal purpose, bringing redemption from an empty way of life, forgiveness from sin, and justification before God. This gift through faith in Christ of salvation and eternal life begins as soon as we put our trust in Christ, and it leads to an unending joy in God's presence that continues throughout all eternity. Jesus' death carried the most enormous meaning of all. His was the greatest act of love a human had ever performed. His was the greatest sacrifice that could ever be made. As is summarized by Isaiah the prophet, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brings us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We, all of us, are like sheep who've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. Because Jesus was broken for us, his death was enough to absorb the punishment for our sin, to bring us freedom from sin and death and a guilty conscience. His death was enough to carry our sorrows and to relieve our anxieties. We are going to spend three minutes now in a time of personal prayer before Jesus, bringing to him the different burdens of our hearts. Jesus was broken for us to carry our burdens. Maybe you have a burden of sin and guilt and shame today, something that you haven't said to anyone else. Jesus invites you to say it to him, to confess your sin to him and receive his forgiveness. His death was enough to cover your sin. Maybe you have a burden of grief or hurt or pain. Jesus died to carry our sorrows and he invites you to bring your sorrow to him right now and receive his comfort. Or maybe you have a burden of anxiety, of worry for family or work or health or any other issue. Jesus wants us to bring our anxieties to him. He died to give us his peace. So let's each individually bring those burdens of heart to Jesus, remembering that his cross is enough to carry our burdens. He died on our behalf. Father, thank you that you so love the world, that you sent your only son to die for us so that we would not perish but would have eternal life. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you were obedient to the Father's will, even to death on a cross. Lord, we pray that all who've confessed a burden of sin to you today would know that they are fully forgiven. We pray that everyone who has brought their sorrow to you would receive your comfort. And we ask that those who have come to you with anxiety would receive peace. Lord, we bring the deep gratitude of our heart to you because, Jesus, you are all we need. And we pray these things in your mighty name, Lord, you who conquered sin and death for us and are now seated at the right hand of God. To you be glory and honor and praise. Amen.